Well, good morning and welcome. Thanks for joining us today on this 3rd of July. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles 26. 2 Chronicles 26, or page 363, I believe it is, in our Bibles here. Well, we've just come through the graduation season, and that's an exciting time for for many families, I know. It's the completion of something, and it's the commencement of something else. Uh, A lot of questions like, what do I want to do with my life? Where will I go to school, or will I start a job? Will I be successful? Will Will I meet someone and marry? Those are some exciting seasons of life, but and you kind of, it's a good time to dream, and if you, if you listen to the, uh, the commencement speakers, it's often about you can achieve your dreams. Somewhere along the line, you hit midlife, and you achieve some things and not others, and you begin to notice that there are others who are ahead of you distinctly, uh, something that you wish could be true of you something they've achieved in terms of status or position, something in their family or finances or skills or opportunities. And not all those dreams come true and we begin to uh, use that if only or, or maybe someday, if I only did this, then I could have this come true. But... Today in our passage, we're confronted with this question, what if all those good things happen to us? What if all of our dreams come true? What if if everything we were considering works out? Because we meet King Uzziah of ancient Judah, about 750 BC. He's also named Azariah. It really all seemed to happen for him. It It all came together. And the thing is, as we've been studying kings, we might right away assume that this kind of success is certainly, you know, an evil thing, but it wasn't. Last week, we looked at a succession of six bad, evil, wicked kings of Israel, the northern part of the kingdom. And we, we, we see what happened, and they had failure after failure, but that wasn't Uzziah. Uzziah was seeking God. Pursuing God, obeying God, serving God. And so he had this amazing combination of spiritually godly and great success. I mean, if you could put that together consistently, isn't that the perfect scenario? Well, his story is told only very briefly in in, uh, 2 Kings, where most of our study has taken place. Just kind of a a summary or outline given there, but a a much more complete version, which is why we're looking today in 2 Chronicles 26. Let's read the first five verses, kind of summarizes his life as well. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah, his dad, rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right 
in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. We're going to see that he is, he is successful in, in, in terms that hadn't been seen since the days of his ancestor Solomon 200 years before. He reigned in place of his father Amaziah. So Uzziah is actually a third generation of kings in the southern portion of the nation called Judah. The third in a succession of kings who were godly to start. Amaziah, his dad. Going back in chapter 25, verse 2, we see a description of his dad. 25.2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. Red flag there. He was the king who, who, who followed the Lord, and, and then he's the one who hired Israel to go fight Edom with him, and the prophet confronted him, and so he, he uh, backs off, grudgingly sends them home angry, goes and fights Edom, wins an amazing battle, and comes back worshiping one of Edom's idols, takes it home with him. And his whole life turned. And then he ends up having a battle with Israel and things go haywire. That's his dad, Amaziah. Uzziah's grandfather was Joash, the, uh, the one who was made king at eight years old and then uh, mentored really by uh, Jehoiada the priest and did well as long as Jehoiada was alive. Does that sound familiar with what we just read in verse 5? Three generations and then it turns out that Josiah worships idols too. Now fortunately Uzziah never did turn to idols but, it, but he followed the pattern in three generations. Let's take a look at that pattern. They were the godly kings. So Joash, his grandfather, was godly and successful. That's how he started. But then he turned to idolatry, and when rebuked, he wouldn't listen. He died at age 48. That's Grandpa Joash. Father Amaziah, the same story. Godly and successful to begin his life and reign. Then he fell into idolatry. Wouldn't listen when rebuked. Died at 54. So now we look at Uzziah. Godly and successful. He doesn't go to idolatry, but there's something that is seemingly as dangerous. A spiritual pride. And when not being willing to listen, he faces the discipline of God as well, we will see. He functions as king into his 50s and dies at 66 We'll see the story fleshed out. And as you look at that, if you're here this morning or listening online in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, walking with God for quite some years, does it at least give you some pause that we need to be very sober and careful about where we are spiritually? We're vulnerable. This, this is... 
This is not one of those kings you look at and say, well, that's what happens when you, when you, you, know, you, you live your whole life evil. No, this is the dangers faced by the godly. By those who have a long, good, and godly track record already behind them. This is our sobering wake-up call. So he became 16, king at 16. Why would they anoint a, a teenager? Would you make your 16-year-old king of the nation? Uh, no, no, don't answer that. The officials of Judah had to do something because some of the officials of Judah had just plotted and assassinated his dad, Amaziah. They were so fed up with Amaziah who in this foolish battle against Israel had created a, a situation that they, they had hostages taken, they, they blew a 600-foot hole in their wall uh, of Jerusalem, treasures were taken from the temple, and they were so fed up, of, some of them got together and, and assassinated Dad. And yet they, in Judah they had such this, of a tradition and an appreciation for God's promise for a king descended from David that they made Uzziah, the 16-year-old son, they went to the bullpen and found Uzziah, 16 years old. He became the king, and amazingly, he becomes a, a royal phenomenon in verse 2. This seems to be early in his reign. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah died, rested with his fathers. Taking a look at this on the map is kind of interesting. So the kingdom of Judah is essentially this area. Israel was to the north. This one's called Judah. But where is Elath or Eloth in some of your Bibles? It's way down there. It's a port city to the Red Sea. It's really beyond the southern borders of Judah. And yet this king, Uzziah, successfully rebuilt it and restored it. Originally, it was Solomon, his ancestor, 200 years before, whose kingdom stretched that far, and he built towers there and defenses. We expect that of Solomon. He was a, he's an amazing uh, king that God had blessed. And, and in the in-between years, they didn't control this. But whoever controls this port controls the flow of business. And you can, you can ship things. And, and so... Instantly, he was, I'm sure, a popular king for achieving that. Plus, verse 4 says, he was godly. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Just what you want to see when you're reading so many kings who did evil in the eyes of the Lord, right? It says, just like his father Amaziah had done, which is pretty generous, because it's clearly referring to the first part of his dad's life, not the last part of his dad's life. And he sought the Lord all the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. Again, reminiscent of his grandpa Joash who prospered spiritually as long as the priest Jehoiada was around. Uh, this Zechariah is not the earlier prophet whom his grandpa put to death for rebuking him. Nor is it the Zechariah that we find uh, authoring the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. That's actually much later. This is an unknown uh, prophet or priest who, who guides uh, Uzziah here as a mentor. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And we again see those red flags, red lights flashing a little bit. Do you have a mentor? Do you, are there people you have looked up to? There, are there people that you have kind of 
hung your spiritual life on, it's good to have those people in your life, okay? I hope you are surrounded by it. It's part of why we do church. God designed the church because we need to have people around that we go, yeah, I can see they've walked with God, they've walked with God, and we need those people, but are you dependent on how well they are doing? The true test of maturity spiritually is probably how will you do when they aren't there? For whatever reason. Really, whether it's death or their own spiritual stumbling, how, how dependent are you on Christ personally? Are you following Christ or just following those who follow Christ? As long as he sought the Lord, as long as Zechariah was alive, God gave him success. Now, that, that phrase alone at the end of verse 5 is, you, if you just pull that out, you could say, Yep, this is, this is, the prosperity theology is true. If you seek the Lord, he's going to give you great success. Of course, that's instantly negated by the fact that there are many who sought the Lord who didn't experience great success. Um, the Isaiahs and the Jeremiah prophets, contemporary, uh, suffered terrible persecution. Peter and Paul martyred. So it's not a, prescription. It's simply a description of what God did for Uzziah. Essentially, all his dreams came true. And what follows is a list of his achievements. And as we think of that, you have to realize that Uzziah was no slouch. He will have been intelligent, taking initiative, putting in the hours, putting in the effort. This, this is no condemnation of how well he did, how hard he worked. This is no criticism of success. But notice, God gave him success. This is not a message promoting mediocrity. This is not saying we should not pursue excellence. Certainly, certainly it's not saying we should feel guilty this morning for any success or blessing that God has given us. But we must remember who creates success. God made him successful. This little, this little phrase at the end of verse 5 is found at least two other places in the Old Testament. One was Joseph, godly Joseph in the Old Testament, end of the book of Genesis. It says God made him successful. He's the one that went from slavery to prime minister of Egypt. And it says God gave him that. It describes Joshua, who went from an understudy of, uh, of Moses to being the conquering general who took the whole promised land in that seven-year span. God gave him success. And now Uzziah, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Well, let's take a look at that success. Verse 6. He went to war against the Philistines, perennial enemies of Israel and Judah, went to war against them and broke down the walls of Gath, one of their key cities, Jabna and Ashdod, another key city. He rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. Notice verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gurbael and against the Munites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah 
And his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. It's a, it's a remarkable uh, story, just even geographically. So now we're zooming in on, on the Judah, the lower part here. And, and Philistia, the Philistines, had been continual enemies and the border kept, kept shifting. Well, of course, during the reign of Uzziah, he, he had the victory in those areas. The Arabs who were a problem to the south, he conquered them. The Munites further south, uh, he moved them out of the way, maybe making the, the path down to that port of Elath possible. The Ammonites to the east, <laughs> he had them subjugated, they just sent him money. Okay, just, just stay out of our life and we'll send you money. He was so well known that even in Egypt, this is like another country, another empire, way out west, and, and his fame spread there as well. What had he all done locally? Verse 9. Uzziah built towers at Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate and the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. This, this is stuff he did for, for his own people there in the capital. These, these are defensive positions, seemingly the, the gates of Jerusalem on the southwest and the northwest. And this angle of the wall thing, it's, it's thought that perhaps what he did here is, is, is repair what his dad allowed to happen. When, when the Israel uh, northern kingdom had come in and, and blown this 600-foot wall uh, down uh, in, in, around Jerusalem, it seems that he fortified it, he, he got it back, he put it back together. So you can see his popularity would be growing. And if it needed to be done defensively, he did it, verse Ten. He also built towers in the desert, so some outposts to make sure that you'd see the, the enemy from far away. And dug many cisterns, need water, because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plains. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. He could, he could really appreciate these blossoming fields. Uh, I, I kind of picture him just enjoying life just like Solomon did at the peak of his prosperity. You know, he looked and said, I, we know Solomon eventually said it became vanity. But that's kind of, we, we kind of propel ourselves through life thinking if only this and then, then we achieve it and then it's this and then it's this and then it's this. The, the, the foothills and the plains, probably this, this uh, agricultural interest of his extended even onto the other side of the Jordan, into the territory of the Ammonites and the, and the Moabites, the plains, and, and he's got fields and vineyards. Uh, I kind of picture him and his, his aides or entourage going around the country and, and enjoying the waving fields of grain in harvest and the, and, and the vineyards just bursting with fruit and watching those workers kind of all doing their thing and, and it's all blossoming it's all going well what about the army is the nation safe verse 11 Uzziah had a well trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jael the secretary and Messiah the officer under the direction of Hananiah one of the royal officials the total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2600 and under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. 
And Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, and sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made machines or devices designed by skillful men for use on the towers and on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Hmm. Army was equipped, ready, impressive. These, these, these 200 and, uh, uh, 2,600 and 307,000, these are actually quite exact numbers for biblical times. Somebody was organizing this and keeping track of it and, and, uh, and doing a good job. And you visualize these soldiers, well-supplied in their barracks or whether they went home at night and doing their training exercises, happy to serve. Because they really had everything they needed, and and at some point they don't think they had to fight that much after they had established those those early border things. And, And if captains put in a requisition for more ammunition or spears or equipment, you got it. Machines, that's a fascinating one in verse 15. Whatever these devices were are interesting, but it was cutting-edge military technology at any rate. Uh, It's kind of debated whether these are are offensive or defensive weapons. Most of our translations consider them to be offensive weapons, something that hurls stones or something which is like these catapults kind of a thing, which is almost kind of early for this season uh, of history. Uh, Or it could actually be, some have thought, maybe a defensive thing that is stopping those who are hurling stones at you. Uh, Something, though, that was just on the edge, they, they had the, the engineering staff and the time to invest in, in, in prototypes, prototypes and, and developing the, 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 the best possible weaponry of the day. So, of course, his fame spread. Everybody applauds. And he was, he was greatly helped until, until he became powerful. Houston does have a problem, Uzziah, because verse 5 said, God gave you success. Verse 7 says, God helped you. And in fact, what it says at the end of verse 15 is that you are greatly helped. Passive. It's, it's God who did this. So the question that begins to reverberate is, who's getting credit for this amazing success? Fascinating and incredible phrases. Fame spread. It's about honor. The last time in, in Scripture this, this phrase was used about the fame spreading was when Solomon was king and, and his fame spread so that the Queen of Sheba heard about it way across the Fertile Crescent. And she came bearing gifts and, and asking questions of his great wisdom. And, and so somehow the celebrity Uzziah had... had become like the legendary Solomon. If you're really good at something, people eventually notice. Uh, word gets around if you're the, you're the best. Some, some work skill, business, sport, art, political prowess, something it, it, people get to know. Fame spread. Secondly, he was greatly helped. King James Version says, 
marvelously helped. It's, a, it's an extraordinary, it's kind of like, this, this guy is unusually blessed. Everybody recognized it. But it was because he was helped. God did this. When I was in, when I was in seminary, uh, Dallas Seminary was celebrating their 60th anniversary and they put on a big banquet. And uh, the speaker, I got to hear uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, speak. He's one of the great preachers of my generation, or I guess kind of before, except he's still going. Uh, Chuck's ministry is, is still broadcast today around the world. He, he pastors in his 80s. His church is large and effective. He, he's authored many books. And I'm really thrilled to say he has remained both humble and faithful. Wonderful to see. At this banquet 30-some years ago, he was already very well known. That's why he was asked to speak as a, as a grad and whatever. And, and he spoke and referred to himself knowing that he was well known already then. And he used this little, this little visual. He said, if you see a turtle on a fence post, got that? If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know one thing for sure, someone put him there. And he had this acknowledgement. He says, I realize I have some, I've, I've been given an opportunity. Oh, that we would be the Swindolls and not the Uzziahs, because Uzziah let it go to his head. And he was very famous and powerful until, until something happened. There was a breaking point. And, and so there was a season where he obeyed God and God made him successful, but then. Verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. That's it. His pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. And this is, this is what triggered this. He, he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted him and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. So somehow Uzziah had become arrogant about his political success. And tried to usurp a spiritual role that was clearly reserved for the priests. It was like this, this, the lines were so clearly drawn in Scripture that this was like crazy to imagine that he would do such a thing. The priests, the people who took care of the whole worship work were the Levites, that one of 12 tribes, the Levites. And from the Levites, just the family of Aaron and their descendants were to be the priests. Only Aaron's descendants would go into the temple, holy place area. And Uzziah thought he could do it. And he wasn't even from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah because, of course, he's a descendant of David. In Israel's history, someone else had tried this during the time of Moses, 700 years before 
there were some non-Aaron descendants of Levi. They're the right tribe, but the wrong family. They were, it was Korah and the sons of Korah, the relatives of Korah, who were seeing the Aaron family. They got to do all the fun stuff. They got to, they got to carry the censers and, and, and light the things. They were like the ceremonial onstage people. And they basically told Moses, what's so special about you people of Aaron? We're holy too. And Moses replied solemnly, basically this, okay, if you want to risk it, let God decide. Show up here tomorrow morning. Whoever wants to light censers, show up in front of the tent of meeting. It was a tabernacle day. It's not the temple yet. And so number 16 tells us what happened. Moses says, if these men, and he's talking about the sons of Korah, there were 250 of them and their families and everybody gathered. Oh, and before, before Moses said this, he tells everybody else that morning, stay away from Korah's families, okay? Just stay away. They're the ones creating this. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. That's what pride does. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. And just as an accent point, the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. King Uzziah, 700 years later, had to know this story. He had the scriptures. He had been seeking the Lord. He was not from the tribe of Levi. He was not from the family of Aaron. But something in his heart said, but I'm the king. The priests recognized it, and they feared what God might do. And so they confronted him. Azariah the priest, I take it probably the high priest at the time, joined by 80 others. Somebody had to make the first move of confrontation, but 80 others. Azariah sees a tragedy unfolding, and he had to act quickly. Certainly everybody noticed when the king came to worship at the temple, which would be the right thing, and the typically the thing you do. You come to the outer court, and, and you bring your sacrifices at the big brazen altar. That, that, that's, all, that's all public. That's for everybody. So his presence wouldn't have been invisible at all. But this time Uzziah caught everybody off guard. And he walks up to that brazen altar and takes these censers or lighters that only priests ever handled. And he takes one and he walks right into the holy place, moving aside the curtains and walking into the holy place. That's where the altar of incense was. It's what only Aaron and his family could do. And surely as he's walking from here to there, there had to be some aid or some, some priest who said, what are you doing, Uzziah? I'm going to go offer incense. 
I can imagine the, the priest sharing horrified glances. You've got to do something. Uzziah steps past the curtain. Azariah steps in after him, along with this whole crowd of, 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 of priests. They don't know what they're going to see. Well, they find the king's corpse. Amazingly, he's alive, but they confront him. This would have been a great moment for him to humble himself and say, what was I thinking? I am so sorry. And turn around and go back. Instead, verse 19 says, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. Just stop right there. He became angry. So kind of, kind of you know, let's kind of pause the video we're thinking about here. He becomes angry. Why is he angry? Pride fuels anger. When, when, we're, when we're angry, we've got to look beneath the anger to the pride. Pride had caused Uzziah to begin to see himself as the exception to anything and everything. I'm different. I'm better. And now that he's been confronted, now the stakes are really high because if I back out humbly and say, I'm sorry, that was wrong. That's a sign of humility, by the way. How often do you say it? If, if he backs out now, he really looks bad. He's all in. Pride feels conflicts between uh, spouses, siblings, people on the same team in a church or work situation. I won't look bad. I won't, yeah. Pride is the culprit that makes us our own destroyer. And we've already been told by the chronicler in verse 16, after he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. This was the moment. Pride can maintain a plateau for a long time. Eventually, something breaks. And it seems that somehow his, his pride about his political success and his power and all the things, his accomplishments and his wealth and all this stuff was just clicking. And somehow this made him assume he could, he could do spiritual stuff that he wasn't allowed to do in leadership. It was, it was spiritual pride. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm successful here I must be a very spiritual person too. The, the Pharisees had that problem. They, they, had, they had power and they, they had this spiritual pride that Jesus confronted. I wonder if sometimes as Christians our pride is more recognizable to ourself about the more secular, if you will, things. If, if, if we're really successful in, in finances, we're really successful in some skill or achievement, we kind of know, okay, that's, I got to be careful about that. 
But is it, is it possible that our, our pride is the most dangerous and insidious when it's about spiritual things? It's when, we're, it's when we're proud of the good stuff we're doing. The Pharisees were doing good things. They were keeping the law and we know they were generating other laws and standards and, and they were feeling so good about themselves. And Jesus kept on confronting them and said, you have a problem with pride. You want the seats of honor. You love that. You give money to be publicly known. You look at certain people and say, I praise God, I'm not like them. It's essentially the same thing as what we sometimes call legalism, where maybe in sincerity we begin to uh, create for ourselves our own little private standards of holiness and things that we do and don't do, and we create kind of a, a personal and, and artificial because these aren't the, the, the clear biblical things and say, I, I must be really doing quite well because I've met my own standards. And then we begin to view others through our own uh, standards. And again, not speaking of biblical absolutes, clear issues, but rather these, these areas of convictions and, and things that actually could be very, very good. The choices you've decided to make to help encourage your own sense of holiness can somehow turn dark when we take pride in them. And, and I don't know where or how that happened with Uzziah, but he had been seeking the Lord. In just the last decade or so, too many well-known pastors and other spiritual notables have fallen morally, ethically, or some of them just fired for being angry and demanding. I think somehow when you're busy doing what you think God wants you to do, it's harder to recognize the, the, the dark pride that we can, can have in those things. Spiritual presumption. And, and somehow... Uzziah assumed. God was watching, and God steps in. Verse 19 again, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was angry or raging, mine says, at the priests in their presence before the altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw the leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. This is when he knew it. It was now too late. He, he, he's angry. He's maintaining his, his pride, and they see it. This, this, this leprosy maybe was not the same as our what we call leprosy today, Hansen's disease, but it was some kind of a whitish, uh, obvious infection of the skin that had been a, a long-term problem throughout ancient Israel. And he knew that the Lord had afflicted him uh, with this. Leviticus 
In the law, 700 years earlier, Moses had written, Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, Unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they must remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. And this had just happened to this king. 700 years later than this, time of Jesus, there were still lepers crying out, unclean, living in isolation. It required you to live in really permanent quarantine and uh, to the degree that uh, there have been some frustrating forms of isolation in our COVID season. We maybe have a tiny taste of what it was like to live as a leper. As drastic and humiliating as that was for Uzziah, in a sense we're almost surprised that the ground didn't swallow him up. He stayed alive. Verse 21, King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. Uh, So he lived out the rest of his life uh, based on some of the chronology of how old the kings were. uh, Probably was 10 to 15 years of his life that while he's considered, at this point at least, to have been the longest reigning monarch, the last of those, the last 10, 15 of those 52 years was spent in isolation. And Jotham, his son, had to take, take over as functional monarch, just as Uzziah had to take over because his dad was assassinated during his spiritual demise. Now Jotham, at age 25, we'll see, had to take over because God was disciplining his dad. Separate house. No more hugs from children and grandchildren. No more walking into a room and hearing that respectful hush and the full attention. It's like God had, God had sent him to his room to think about what he had done. Key verse of Uzziah's life is sadly what we find at the end of verse 15, beginning of verse 16. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped by God until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Just as Solomon had written earlier about pride leading to the fall and a haughty spirit will do you in, right? If God prospers you, and you achieve or enjoy something that's even beyond what you had thought. That's God. And it's God's blessing. And we're not told to be feeling guilty about the good things God did for us. But very fundamental to all of this is who gets the credit. All your dreams come true. What if, what if you win... American Idol, you're the NFL MVP in your 20s. You become a World Series MVP. Or what if you could pastor a church with thousands in attendance each week and your sermons are breaking YouTube records and there's a whole network of satellite churches watching you live. Thousands 
around the world. Because actually all those stories are true. True scenarios of people who have grown up in Bible teaching churches, maybe like ours. Whether or not they were truly believers in Christ or not, not mine to judge. But sometimes those things really do work out that way for people like us. So what if you set your sights a little lower, but you really did achieve that next thing, you know? You're, you're able to make that next amazing purchase. You climb your ladder at work. You make a shrewd investment that, in, that gets you thousands, tens of thousands, hundred thousands. You're the best at your job. You have the, the kids that everyone applauds. If you, if you experience these things, you, you clearly have done something, right? Right? Right. But who gets the credit? is fundamental. Let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. Recognizing not all of our dreams come true, but some do. Ask yourself, where have I excelled or achieved? Or what have I accumulated or enjoyed that others don't have? Okay? There's, there's something that God's done, perhaps, in your life that you say, yeah, that's, that's kind of... Maybe even you've kind of taken an identity in that thing. Because you're it's going well. Is it fueling pride in your ability or intellect, or is it increasing your praise? I think it's a fundamental point you'll find yourself on the spectrum. Is it fueling pride or increasing your praise? And then, what about those things you've deeply desired that God has not given or allowed? Because we all got those too, right? Something hasn't worked out. You, you aren't living Uzziah's life. There's a, you don't get the recognition you should, the position, the finances, the family, the health, appearance, you know, fill in the blank. Something didn't work out. Is it provoking resentment or jealousy? Or could it be? God uses it to grow you in contentment and acceptance and even appreciation for what God is limited. If there's anything we've been seeing in the Kings, it's that God is sovereign over what he does. Another thing we see is that God is good. And so there, is, there has to be on our part a, a, an acceptance that this is God's goodness. Dream, set goals, pursue excellence in everything. God delights so many times to give good things to those who love him. But make sure that we experience them with gratitude and praise and with a great sense of humility whether they come true or not is what God charges us to do. Second Chronicles 26 is kind of like this little indicator light, I think, to us. You know, why is it in our scripture? A little indicator light that uh, if we fail to divert glory to God, there's like a, a flashing light, and at some point there's a buzzer. Notice the flashing lights. You don't want to hear the buzzer. 
because you don't want to don't experience the downfall. And uh, the point is, who gets credit? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we know that all things come from you. You're the giver of every perfect gift. It comes from above, from the Father of lights, the, the, the Father who delights to give good things to your children. And, and I'm sure that uh, maybe just even this weekend we, we, we realize many good things. Good things because we live in America. Good things because uh, some, someone we're with that we know loves us or... Uh, the food we can enjoy or something we can can do and 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 uh, participate in oh god give us humble grateful hearts give us an appreciation uh, for your watch care over our life and acceptance and a joy of the place we are in life now that we can uh, uh, see your glory through us and someday thank you in in much greater special eternal ways Jesus' name, amen.